Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com's our main website, and you want to save money all through the day and every day? ClarkDeals.com is your friend. So there's something that I really get upset about, and that is that we as Americans have a tough time dealing with our aging relatives. And I want to talk about, in today's Clark Rage coming up in a little while, something I want you to be aware of as you seek care for an aging relative or a parent or something like that. And coming up later, it's now a three-horse race for devices in your home that you can talk to and get back answers play music and do all those kind of things. I want to talk about where you should really look at among the three horses from Apple, Google, and from Amazon. So new report out today, and there are a couple of different groups that do this each year, that talk about the worst traffic in America. And this survey done by Enrix is one that does it year after year after year and as for where is the worst traffic in the country it's New York City the New York metro area number two is San Francisco and those two cities are two very densely populated metro areas San Francisco, the city of San Francisco actually is one of the most uh, densely populated cities, maybe the most in the country. Number of people per square mile is ginormous in San Francisco. It's very hard to move around. But when you move away from those two, overwhelmingly the cities on the list are cities that became prominent when automobiles were the way that people started getting around, not any form of mass transit. Atlanta is third on the list. Miami is next. And Miami is really interesting because so many people in South Florida don't commute on a normal workday schedule, but the traffic is intense. In city after city, in the country, you're thinking, living in a metro area, why aren't I mentioning you? Why aren't I mentioning your city as being the worst ever? And there, there are others that are on here. Let me hit you with others that got really bad ratings for traffic. Washington, D.C., Boston, Seattle, Chicago, Dallas, are all on there along with, and so this is the top 10 list of cities that are the most congested. And I have a belief that is so out there, so crazy, but I can guarantee you, you have a 100% guarantee from me that if any metro area had the guts to do my absolute libertarian way to solve traffic problems, 
you would be amazed that it would eliminate gridlock, but I guarantee you it would. And so I haven't mentioned this in several years, but I'm going to do it right now. What I would do is I would toll every lane on every freeway in every metro, major metro area in the country. And I would have a negative toll, a positive toll, and no toll based on traffic flow. You know how these uh, Lexus lanes work in cities that have them is that the the separate lanes that have been built for rich people where they can pay a variable rate per mile based on how traffic is flowing on a particular freeway. And so the price can go from being pennies per mile to even multiple dollars per mile to guarantee people in those lanes a 45 mile per hour minimum average speed. And so that works if you don't care how much money you spend on that trip. But remember, they're creating shortage just by having maybe one lane going a direction that people are paying that toll for. If instead you told every lane on every road, you would be amazed how people would reorient their days. Because so much of driving time is not for commuting. It's for every possible purpose. And so if people knew that during a congested time, you were going to pay a toll that would rise with traffic volume or would fall to nothing when traffic is light, which would be most hours of the day, and then when it's really light, that you would get paid to ride on the road. Weird concept, right? But the idea is that it would not be a moneymaker for local or state government, but the idea is that you reward people with financial incentive or punish them with financial incentive, and then you take that same amount of road space and you'd completely eliminate almost all traffic jams because you'd be surprised how much driving is discretionary. We can't pave our way out of this anywhere in the country, but we could use economic signals to change. Think about how it works on an airplane. You know, if you're looking at ticket prices and the flight at 5 o'clock is $500 and the flight at noon is $59, the business traveler whose corporation is paying doesn't care and pays the $500. But you paying for your own ticket, you're going on the one at noon for 59 bucks. I promise it works. And it would save so much money because we wouldn't be trying to build all these lanes for max capacity hours. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. John? Hello, Clark. Nice to speak with you. Nice speaking with you. So are you laughing at me being from North Dakota, talking about traffic jams and the 10 most jammed cities? Yeah, yeah. We, we don't really have a whole lot of that problem up here. So... How often are you ever in a traffic jam where you live in North Dakota? Usually between 5 and 5.30 it gets a little busy, but it's, it's nothing, like, nothing like you'd see in Minneapolis or, or a bigger city. So what an advantage, right? Yeah, right. 
Well, John, how can I serve you today? I guess I have a question about uh, about my employer's retirement fund. My employer is uh, offering a, a one-time irre- irrevocable uh, option to, um, I guess I should start with a little history to back up. My, my employer, employer currently offers a, a 6% match on the 401k uh, plus is a uh, pension that they that they offer um, and they're offering you know that's fantastic by the way that they offer yes. both the match and the pension the six percent match how does that work if you put in six percent they match it with three or they match it with with six how so, how do they do it, it it's a full hundred percent match so six if I put in six percent they put in six percent. I don't know how many other places you've worked, but I got to tell you, that is a very unusual benefit coupled with a pension as well, which almost nobody has pensions anymore. Yeah, so yeah, I'm pretty lucky from that standpoint. So, But, but they're uh, making a change. What kind of thing are they offering you? So they're, they're offering a uh, one-time option. If, if you elect to um, uh, drop out of the pension, they would then match uh, a three to one on your 401k, so up to 15%. So if I put in uh, 5%, they would then uh, uh, enter in 15%, and then and then your pension would be frozen at at that time. Then. Wow. All right. This is a this is a tough either or with a cloudy crystal ball. So right. having that pension is fantastic. I mean, it's just absolutely great. People who retire with a pension have so much better a time in retirement than people who don't. It just change. It's a game changer. So, how many years of service do you have with the firm? Uh, I currently have. Uh, it'll be five. Five years. Okay, so not a lot. Pension mm-hmm. benefits, the way they're usually calculated, become extremely valuable when you hit 20 years of service or more. And what are the odds that you would likely be there 15 years from now? Well, I'm currently 32, so I'd I'd have to work uh, 30 years to get the full benefit of of that pension. The danger you face is that they're making this offer now, and later they may offer a much less generous plan uh, when they terminate the pension this is going to kill me to say it it's going to kill me but i have to tell you that the 401k option may be better how long will you get the three to one like is there a contractual promise that they'll do the three to one instead of the one to one for so many years uh it's it's, there's not a specified time limit on it so it's just I guess, until tell things change, I guess, until they tell us they're not going to give it to us anymore. So they could, after a year, say we're not doing the three-to-one anymore. I, I guess that's a possibility. The history of this employer, though, is, has been pretty good, and they, they haven't uh, taken away benefits like that. But they're really, they realize the pension liability is a time bomb for them, and they really mm-hmm. want people out of the pension plan if they're mm-hmm. doing this. Because that's an enormously generous offer giving you the opportunity of a three to one on the 401k and they, they were gracious enough to to run some numbers on the pension they, they gave us some rough estimates of, of what our, our pension would be worth the lump sum amount that at 
say age 62, age 59, and age 56. Of course, of course, if you retire early at 56, you you take about a, a 40% hit on that lump sum. Sure. But uh, just looking at those numbers, I kind of crunched the numbers, and I, I'd have to get about a anywhere from a six to a seven percent rate of return on that on that 15 percent 401k which I, I believe is pretty conservative in, in my opinion well six to seven actually is a is a kind of a, a good marker target for mm-hmm. you to look at earning from a 401k the reason and and this is hard for me to say because i love anytime someone has a pension but you're so early in it and you're so young I would take the sure thing of the money in the 401k with the much enhanced match and mm-hmm. allow them to freeze your pension benefit at this point. Mm-hmm. I never, yep. ever would imagine I would say that, but I think that would be the right answer here. Because, <laughs> that's, kind of the, that's kind of the way I was leaning to. But. Well, the reason, if you told me you were much further in your career, you were older, you had more years, I would want you staying in the pension. But as early as you are in age and in your career, I would take the certainty of that money being funded in the 401k because the long-term promise of the pension is such a question mark. It's tough with an aging population in the United States to get it right on care for an aging relative, a family member, a friend. And there's a new report out which is going to frighten a lot of people, and it's the subject of today's Clark Rageous moment. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous moment. The report from Human Rights Watch finds that there's a terrible problem going on in nursing homes with people with dementia being over medicated. That nursing homes, assisted living centers are stretched for staff. They have a lot of turnover, and the best way to deal with patients that can at times be difficult is to medicate. Well, I, I want to tell you, there may be that going on, and fortunately I never witnessed anything like that where my late mom was living with dementia. There was never any sense that people were turned into zombies with prescriptions that would make them docile. But I'm sure that that does go on one place or another. What I do want you to think about, and the reason I would even bring this up, is if you cannot provide care for an aging relative in your home, within your life, and you do need to have the help of a facility, go visit that facility frequently. Visit it at unusual hours. Not Monday through Friday during the time that the top seniority people are going to be in the facility. You get a much better sense about what kind of care there is in the evening of a weekday, even in the evening on the weekend, because you're going to get a good presentation on Saturdays and Sundays when most family members might visit during the core of the day from 10 to 3. So be aware and ask questions. Now, if you have a relative who you know is going to need assistance, there are geriatric care managers 
that you can hire around the country that are experts at being able to evaluate the medical condition of somebody who's aging and based on their knowledge of care facilities in an area to be able to recommend what would be the best facility that has a good reputation because they visit them all the time. And I know this sounds cold and callous, but I've told my wife that if I end up in need of such care, to ship me off to a third world country where care is cheaper. And I have no problem with that. Some of my family thinks I'm crazy. Welcome to the Clark Howard Show, where you're empowered with knowledge so you can pack a punch in your wallet. Our main website, Clark.com. And when you have a question for me, go to Clark.com slash ask. And you may or may not have heard me say, we also offer free off-the-air advice where you can talk with a member of our team on the main page of Clark.com. Scroll down a little on your phone or your laptop and you'll see the phone number and hours available each weekday for free off-the-air advice that we offer over 40 hours each week. So now it's a three-horse race as the much-delayed HomePod from Apple is now available. The HomePod is $350 device and it competes with the Amazon Echo and the Google Home. Now, I'm in a family where I'm the only non-Apple person. All three of my kids, my wife, they're all Apple, 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 Apple. And I'm all Android, Android, Android. But we use, in the midst of that, we use, all of us, so many Google services. Everybody in the family uses Google Photos. And by the way, if you are using an iPhone and you're not using Google Photos, you're out of your mind. Because one of the ways Apple really makes money is to starve its phones of storage. So they get you to buy the iCloud, the incredibly overpriced iCloud. And so with Google Photos on an iPhone or an Android, you can store your pictures in perpetuity for free available to you whenever you want to look at them. And it's a great thing from Google. And we use Google Docs and all kinds of Google things. But when it came to having a device, we first tried the Amazon Echo. And it was good, but then we tried the Google Home. And we have Google Home devices now all over the house. And that's the one that really won, I guess you call it the market share test in our household. And I know now I'm going to hear from my family wanting the HomePod. Well, the reviews so far from the techies, and I had somebody do a Clark Stinks. They didn't like the term techies. Anyway, for people that are really into technology, the technology reviewers found that the sound of the HomePod is superior to what you'd get from the Amazon Echo or the Google Home, but that the quality of it being able to be your assistant is vastly inferior to what you have from Google or Amazon. The price point, Google and Amazon at retail tend to be 79 on their main device, 29 on the 
little miniature ones somewhere in there is where the price points end up being usually. And Google has one that has concert quality sound that's $400. No question they'll have to cut the price of that to compete with the Apple device. But there is a fourth challenger that potentially integrates with any of these devices, and that's the Sonos. And there are many people who swear by Sonos, and nobody ever swears at Sonos, because the sound quality of the Sonos devices is exceptional. The wonderful thing happening with Sonos and the high end of these speakers is that they provide in a home the real feel of concert hall sound and the Google Home device I use probably 50 times a day. I mean, it's very much integrated into my life and I probably use it less than some of my kids do. So these things really do become valuable as assistants and our poor Amazon device is unplugged now gathering dust. If I was smart, I would sell it, right? Or give it to somebody who would like to have that. But when somebody in my family wants to buy the expensive Apple one, there's a real answer to that. Save up your money. David's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, David. Hey. David, you want to talk about my advice of buying ultra-cheap, off, off, off-brand TVs. That's right. That's right. I was um, looking for a, a cheaper TV, but one with a good screen, and I'd heard that the name-brand players will make screens and just put different boxes on them, like the, the plastic on them, uh, with an off-brand name. So you're basically getting a really good screen for, a, uh, for not paying the brand price. Yeah, it's, it's common that the... Um the name brand TV manufacturers now have what's known as three tiers. They'll have one that's their premium brand, they'll have one that's their mid-market brand, and then they'll have their lead price brand. Mm -hmm. And then in addition to the brand name manufacturers doing three-tier, we in the U.S. have been invaded by uh, discount brands that are what are known often in the trade as white labels, where a contract manufacturer will make TVs for uh, somebody like Best Buy or Fry's Electronics or any of the big sellers of electronics items. Right. So uh, it is true that the, the TVs a lot of times will just have, there'll be the same basic screen, one that'll have more features to it, one that might have a prettier cabinet, and then one that just looks plain, simple, and works great. That's cheap. Works great. Yeah. Right. So I was looking for a recommendation for an off-brand television that was made by a big brand player that might be on sale this week, especially after the Super Bowl. So as far as buying a third-tier brand of a major company, I don't. I had an uh, article I read like maybe six months ago, that laid out who the the brands were from each manufacturer. And I don't know that I can lay my hands on that right away. But I don't even care about buying one of the ones from 
a big brand name manufacturer. I just buy the cheapest one I can get in the biggest screen that I can stand in a room with the features that I want, which is basically for me 4K uh, resolution. And the TVs, if you look by screen size and don't worry about the brand names, the reliability of the of the flat screen televisions there must be another term for that because that's a dated term but anyway for today's tvs the reliability is phenomenal david no matter what brand you buy the break rate in the first three to four years is insignificant with any tv you buy okay excellent how big a screen are you thinking you'd like um, maybe a minimum 60-inch uh, to get the best out of the 4K resolution, but something with a high refresh rate as well, because that's also what will give you a better picture. So you don't want 60 hertz. You want 120 or 240. Precisely. Yeah. So I have um, I have some 60s in the house, and except for sports, they're just fine. You know, sports, that refresh rate really matters, but I wouldn't worry as much. Uh, for for a TV that you're if you're not a sports addict like I am. What about gaming? Gaming? Okay, that would be another reason to have a higher refresh rate. Okay. You're so right. I didn't think of that. And right, yeah. uh, you know, leading up to the Super Bowl, we had a big story on buying TVs, but I'll tell you the brand, if you're looking for that combination of all the features, including a fast refresh rate. I'm a big fan of TCL. Okay, I've heard of them. Aren't they the Roku offshoot? They are. They that's right. TCL sells TVs that are from the ground up, built to be Roku TVs. Yeah. So okay. in a streaming environment, I think TCL is the exact intersection of price and performance with a television. Perfect. Thank you. And for a 65-inch, recently 65s have been under $500. Okay. Don't know about TCL. I just know that watching TVs, if you buy an off-off brand, they're under $600. Excellent. Okay. Under $500. What am I saying? $600. Under $500. Right. Okay. And I hope you love it. Hey, send in a, a picture of whatever TV you buy and what you paid for it with you smiling next to it. Right, yeah. (laughs) So you enjoy that thing. You know, I'm done with TV now until September because until the NFL gets going again, I'm finished. That's the only thing I ever watch on television. Robert is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Robert. Hi, Clark. How are you? Captain Howard. Captain is correct. Okay. I've yeah. never I've never been promoted. All right. Well, I'm calling with regards to the minimum required distributions. I, I've reached my my middle age, so I'm having to deal with that. So you were seventy point five years old, huh? Well, a little bit more. Okay. I figure that's about the middle, seeing as I don't know where the other end is. <laughs> oh, okay. 
So um, RMDs, for people who are not aware, is this cruel curse that the federal government came up with where when you reach 70 and a half, you're required to make distributions from 401k plans, IRAs, whatever, based on your remaining life expectancy. And how many different accounts do you have money in that you're that would qualify as money you have to take RMDs from? Three, but I, I generally take it only from one account okay. uh, and taking it a little bit from each. All right. And of those three, how heavily are they in stock type choices? About 30%. Okay, that's... Uh, that's probably in the neighborhood of where you should be because you got to worry about inflation over right. the long haul. So if you're 70% non-stock, I wouldn't want you to do anything special with the stock. I would be doing my RMD from my non-stock part of those plans. Okay. Well, the question is what to do with it. Once you pull it out? Yeah. So you don't need it to live on. Right. Is it money that you'll eventually want Family to inherit? Uh, either that or, you know, buy an airplane or, you know, something, or an island. Something, or... something really useful. Right. Well, uh, if, if you have something that you'd really, if it's money you don't need and there's something you'd like to do to really treat yourself, go ahead and do it. Or if you have adult children that you'd like to help out, you're allowed to give an adult child up to $15,000 in a year without any gift tax implications at all. Per person? Yep. Okay. So, I mean, if, if you don't want to give it away to family or charity or you don't want to do something fun for yourself and you don't need the money, this is going to sound weird, I would put it into an investment account and I would buy a like a total stock market index fund or something like that with it, there would be ultimately a great inheritance asset for somebody to get way down the road. But let's hope that that's way, way down the road. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Paul is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Paul, you had an experience recently that matches one that I have had on an airline flight. What happened to you? Yes, sir. First of all, I'd like to tell you that Rob to Robert that I'd be willing to take fifteen thousand a year from him just to help him out. That is great. That's a great idea. We'll get you in touch with each other. Yeah. And, and you know, by the way, I said an adult child, you can give fifteen thousand dollars to anyone each year 
without any gift tax implications, and you don't have to be related to them. So that sounds like a great idea, Paul. Yeah, right. I was in a uh, main terminal going to a smaller venue. It's a small plane, five seats, three on the left, two on the right, and I was in the middle seat on the left when an individual boarded the plane, and as they boarded the plane, they saw I had the armrest down, and they insisted that I rise it because they can't sit. I made a few, you know, in the window that oh, I need this for safety, I need this for security or whatever, but I knew why the person wanted to race. Well, I finally gave up and raced it. So this was somebody of size? Oh, yes. And the person ended up, you know, sitting half on my leg the whole way. And I started to raise a little keen about it, but the plane was full and I didn't want to be bounced. And secondary, I did not want to embarrass the passengers. This is, a, this is a terrible, terrible problem for everybody involved because, you know, we as Americans have gotten larger and there are a number of Americans that are in the obese category and airlines at the same time have made their seats much narrower and on a number of planes, the seats are only 17 inches wide, which even if someone is only moderately overweight, means they're going to spill over that armrest in the next seat. And imagine being a gate agent, seeing someone who's bought a ticket and of size. Do you want to be the gate agent who says, excuse me, I, you need to buy a second seat? This is a terrible, terrible problem. Well, I just looked at it. Someone needs to make an adult decision about that. I mean, they measure my carry-on. You think you measure the girth of the individual and go, hey, business or two seats? There's an airline in Asia that started weighing every passenger, and not on little planes. They did it on big planes to determine who was going to have to buy a second seat. And there was an uproar about it. I mean, an absolute uproar about the airline doing that so i i welcome suggestions from people what we should do i was on a flight once with a gentleman who was uh significantly overweight and i got the it was the last seat on the plane that i had Mm -hmm. and i had to sit sideways into the aisle because he was uh he was uh you know really big and he apologized to me, and I felt so bad for him because he was embarrassed, and I and I was uncomfortable. It was a two-and-a-half-hour flight that I had to sit that way with my feet in the aisle, which I'm sure wasn't safe anyway. So mm-hmm. I do appreciate suggestions that people might post, Paul, because it is unfair to you or anybody who ends up in that situation. And at the same time, my heart goes out to someone who is – uh, obese like that and think how uncomfortable it is for them too you're listening to the Clark Howard Show thanks for tuning into the Clark Howard Show today and if you're like me you like deals well, we got our deal diggers hard at work at ClarkDeals.com that help you save money day in and day out we work around the clock to find the best deals for your wallet and they're on a variety of consumer items, check out ClarkDeals.com.